we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. We live by the senses, by sensation, and it is only when thought creates the image out of sensation that all the complexities of desire arise. Hello and welcome to episode 184 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives, representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to many of the fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is sensation. Upcoming themes are words and language, conformity and urgency. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of advert-free, full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features hundreds of specially selected clips. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on sensation has four sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in Sanan, 1985, titled Our Lives Are Based on Sensation and Desire. We have to understand the nature of desire. That may be the root of the whole structure of self-interest. Desire. Right? Or we together in this? Desire is a great sensation. Desire is the senses coming into activity. As we said earlier, sensation is great importance to us. Sensation of sex, sensation of new experience, sensation of meeting somebody who is well-known. I must tell you this lovely story of a friend of ours met the Queen of England, shook hands with her, and went on all the kind of stuff. After it was all over, a person came up to her, and I said, may I shake, shake hands with you, because you've shaken hands with the, with the Queen. It is all this, we live by sensation. Sensation is tremendously important for us. Sensation of being secure, please watch it. Sensation of being, of having fulfilled. Sensation of great pleasure, gratification, and so on. What relationship has sensation to desire. Is desire something separate from sensation? Go into this, please. Important to understand this thing. I'm not explaining it. You are 
we are together looking at it. What is the relationship of desire to sensation? When does sensation become desire? Or are they inseparable? Or are they always go together? Right? Are you working as hard as the speaker is working? Or you just say yes, just go on with it? Or you have heard this before, and say, oh God, he's gone back to that again. <laughs> you know, the more you understand the activity of thought, the more you go get really depth, the root of thought, then you begin to understand so many things. Then you, you see the whole phenomenon of the world, nature, the truth of nature, and then you ask, what is truth? I won't go into all that for the moment. So, we live, our life is based on sensation and desire. And we're asking, what is the actual relationship between the two? When does sensation become desire? Right? You're following this? At what second does desire become dominant? I see a beautiful camera with all the latest improvements. All that you have to put, lift the camera, look at it, it's already taken. There is sensation of observation, right? The seeing the beautiful camera, beautifully made, very complex. And it's, it has great value as a pleasure, a possession, pleasure of taking for and all the rest of it. So there is sensation, seeing that camera there. Then, what is that sensation to do with the desire? You understand? When does that desire begin to flower into action? Say, I must have it. You understand? Right, Have you observed the movement of sensation? Whether it's sexual, whether it is climbing the hills and the valleys and looking at all the world from a great height, or when you see a lovely garden. See the beautiful God. And you have a little lawn around your place. And you see this take place. And then what takes place that turns this sensation into desire? You're following all this? Please don't go to sleep. Two lovely morning. If you stay with this question, what is the relationship of sensation to desire? Stay with it. Not try to find an answer. But look at it, observe it. 
see the implications of it, that is to stay. Then you will discover that sensation, which is natural and so on, that sensation is transformed into desire when thought creates the image out of that sensation. That is, I have a sensation, there is a sensation of seeing a camera, very expensive, beautiful, and so on. There is sensation. Then thought comes along and says, I wish I had that camera. You holding it, you taking your pictures, and so on. Then thought creates the image out of that sensation, right? At that moment, desire is born. I don't know if it's clear. Right, sir? Look at it yourself. Go into. You don't need any book, any philosopher, any, anybody, just to look at it. To look at it patiently, tentatively, move slowly, then you come up with it very quickly. That is, when sensation becomes, or sensation is a slave to thought, and thought with its image creates something. At that moment, desire is being, desire is born, right? And we live by desire. I must have this, I, I don't want it, I must become, this whole movement of desire. Now, what relationship has desire to self-interest. We are pursuing the same thread. Or, as long as there is desire, which is creating the image out of sensation by thought, as long as there is that desire, there must be self-interest. Right? Whether I want to fall, reach heaven or become a bank manager or a rich person, it's the same. Whether one wants to achieve heaven or become a rich man, they're exactly the same. Right? If one desires to be a saint, a noble, and all that business, and the other fellow says, I'm going to have great skill, it's exactly the same thing. Right? One is called religious, the other school is bold. How the words cripple us. The second extract is from the eighth talk in Ojai, 1949, titled Ideas are the result of sensation. We seem to think that ideas are very important. Our minds are filled with ideas. Our mind is idea. There is no mind without idea, without thought, without verbalization. And ideas have play, play an extraordinarily important part in our lives. What we think, what we feel. The beliefs and ideas that in which we are conditioned. And ideas have an extraordinary significance. with most of us. Ideas which seem coherent, intelligent and logical 
and also ideas that are romantic, stupid, without much significance. We are crowded. Our whole structure is on ideas. And these ideas come into being, obviously, through outside external influences, environmental conditioning, as well as inward demands. And we can see very well how ideas come into being. Because ideas are sensations. There is no idea without sensation. As most of us are sentient beings, our whole structure is based on, on sensations. And being limited or seeking expansion through sensation, Ideas become very important. Ideas in God, ideas in morality, ideas in various forms of social organization and so on and so on. So ideas shape our experience. Which is an obvious fact. Which means ideas condition our action. Not that action creates ideas, but ideas create action. First we think it out and then act. And the action based on ideas. So experience is the outcome of idea. And experience is different from experiencing. In the state of experiencing, if you have noticed at all, there is no ideation at all. There is a, merely an experiencing, acting. Later on comes the ideation derived from that experience of like and dislike, to have that experience continued or not continued, to go back to the experience in memory, which is this demand for sensation of that experience not experiencing anew. Surely there is a difference between experiencing and experience, and that should be made fairly clear. Experiencing is in which there is no experiencer and the experience. There is only a state of experiencing. And after experiencing, the sensations of those, of that experiences, experiencing is demanded, is longed for. And out of that desire arises idea. Say, for example, you have had an experience, pleasure, and it's over, and you are longing for it, which is, you are longing for the sensation, not the state of experiencing. <coughs> and sensation creates ideas based on pleasure and pain, avoidance and acceptance. Denial or continue. 
Now if ideas are not basically important, because one sees ideas have continued. You may die, but the ideas that you have had, the bundle of ideas which you are, they have a continuance, either partially or wholly, either fully manifested or little. But they have a form of continuance, obviously. If ideas are the result of sensation, which they are, of which our mind is, made, is filled, of, of which the mind is, then there is a continuance of the mind as a bundle of ideas. But that surely is not immortality. But ideas are merely the result of sensations of pleasure and displeasure, or not pleasure. And immortality must be something which is beyond ideas, upon which the mind cannot possibly speculate. Because it can only speculate in terms of pleasure and pain, avoidance or acceptance. as it can only think in those terms, however extensively, however deeply, it is still based on an idea. And though idea has continued, and that which continues is obviously not immortality. to experiencing, to experience immortality or the experiencing of that state, there must be no ideation. One cannot think about immortality. can be free of ideation, that is, if we do not think in terms of ideas, which means live in the state of experiencing only, then one goes, then there is a state in which ideation has stopped altogether. You can experiment with this yourself and not accept what I'm saying. Because there is a great deal involved in this. Which means the mind must be entirely quiet. Neither a movement backward or forward or delving in or sorry. Which means ideation must entirely cease. And that's extremely difficult. And that's why we cling to words like the soul, immortality, continuum, God. They have all neurological effects and which are sensations. And on these sensations the mind feeds and deprive the mind of these things, it's lost. So it holds on with greater strength to experiences which are sensations, 
the past experiences which have now become sensations. And is it possible for the mind to be so quiet, not partially but in its totality, to have direct experience of that which is not thinkable, which cannot be put into words? Because for what the for that which continues, and is it possible for the mind to be so quiet, not partially but in its totality, to have direct experience of that which is not thinkable? which cannot be put into words. Because for what the, for that which continues is obviously within the limits of time. And through time the timeless is not possible. And therefore God or what you will cannot be thought of. If you think of it, then it's merely an idea, a sensation. Therefore it's no longer true. Therefore it's merely an idea which has a continuance, which is inherited or conditioned. And such an idea is not eternal, immortal, timeless. If, you can, if we can really feel this, See the truth of it as we discuss it. Not say this is so, this is not so. I believe in immortality and you don't. I am an agnostic and you are godly. It has all such expressions are immature, thoughtless, they have no significance. Because what we are dealing with something which is not merely an opinion of like or dislike, of prejudice. Because we are trying to find out what, what is immortality. Not as religious people all belong to some particular cult and all that rubbish, but to know that thing, to be aware of it. Because in that is creation. And when once there is an experiencing of that, then the whole problem of life undergoes a, a significant change. There is a revolutionary change. And without that, all the squabbles and petty opinions have no, have really no significance at all. So if one is aware of this total process of how ideas come into being, how action springs from ideas, and how ideas control action, and therefore limit action, depending on sensation, ideas doesn't matter who they are, from the left or from the extreme right. As long as we cling to ideas, then we are merely in a state of, in a state in which there can be no experiencing at all. Then we are only living in the field of time as the past which gives further sensation or the future which, which is another form of sensation. 
It is only when the mind is free from idea there can be experiencing. Just think it up. Merely listen to this. Without resi- don't reject it or accept it. Listen to it as you would listen to the wind, wind in the tree. You don't object to the wind in the tree. It's pleasant. Or if you dislike it, you go away. Do the same thing. Don't resist it. Just find out. Because this question of immortality, so many people have expressed their opinions, the great religious teachers and every other preacher on the corner, so many saints, so many writers, either deny or assert that there is no immortality, that man is merely the outcome of environmental influences and so on, so on. So many opinions. Opinions are not true. And truth is something that must be experienced directly, from moment to moment, not an experience which you want, which then is merely sensation. And it is only when the bundle of ideas, which is the me, which is the mind, which has a partial or a complete continuance, it is only when one can go beyond that. That means when thought is completely silent. Then only is there a state of experiencing. Then one shall know what truth is. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Sanan, 1976, titled Total Sensation. We are examining the nature of will, the structure of it, how it is formed, how it comes into being. So, we said desire is the essence of will. So what is desire? Please examine through my words, speaker's words, the issue in yourself. Desire is sensation plus thought plus the image which thought creates. You understand? Sensation, seeing something and want seeing, then the Thought taking over this observation, then thought creating the image. This sensation plus thought plus this, plus the image. Right? That is desire. From that, all our activity of will takes place. So the question is, as long as there is a will, there is a directive, and therefore movement towards that direction, positive or negative. And that is the pattern which we are used to, having, having sensations, thought, and thought plus sensation creating the image, 
the image that I must be that, the image that I must not be that. You follow? All that is will. And that we have exercised that will endlessly. The socialists, the communists, the religious people, the non-religious people, this movement is all the time going on. That's our condition. Which is, in the psychological field, this movement of desire plus thought and image is constant. And as long as that mechanistic process goes on, there cannot be change. There cannot be psychological deep revolution. So how can this movement come to an end? You understand my question? I wonder if you understand all this. Is this becoming a bit difficult? You understand, I'm a human being. I've lived in the pattern of agony, suppression, quarrels, violence, bitterness, an occasional feeling of tenderness, occasional sense of something which I dreamt of or dream, I feel immense, all that. I've lived like that as a human being. <coughs> and I say to myself, why am I living this way? I know I'll die, there's always death, but I lived during that fifty, twenty, thirty, eighty years in a squalid uh, pigsty way. Why? Is it lack of I won't come to that yet. Is it lack of energy? I see I've got plenty of energy and I want to do something. Is it lack of will? And I begin to examine the will, the whole nature of will. And that's my habit conditioning. Now I'm questioning if I can break that habit if that habit can be broken, that is, not to operate on will at all. You understand? Will only takes, comes into being, please listen, comes into being when sensation, which is natural, which is acceptable, which is normal, sane, when that sensation is taken over by thought and that thought creates the image. So is it possible to be completely wholly with sensation and no interference of thought? You understand what I'm saying? You see a beautiful house, beautiful woman, nice man, see the hills and the glory of the earth. When you observe, there's tremendous sensation, if you are at all watching. And then thought comes along and says, yes, how marvellous. From that begins the image-making the picture-making, the imagination. Now, is it possible to have this complete sensation, which is normal, healthy, sane, and not let thought seep in? You understand? When thought seeps in, you have the projection of tomorrow. I don't know if you see that. 
you see something extraordinarily beautiful, and all your senses are awake. Then thought comes along and says, I must have it tomorrow, which is the image-making, the pleasure, you follow, the delight of something beautiful, thought has taken over, created an image, and therefore there is tomorrow. You understand? So the tomorrow is the process of time, which is thought. So in the psyche there is only sensation, no tomorrow. I wonder if you see this. This little bit complex, is it? I see some people are not. <laughs> Let me explain it more. We live in the hope of tomorrow. Right? Tomorrow to us is tremendously important. As yesterday, the images of yesterday, the, all that is as important, the past, as tomorrow. So we live in the past and we, tomorrow becomes tremendously significant. So psychologically we are saying, what is tomorrow? There is tomorrow, which is Friday, <laughs> we have to do certain things, but Psychologically, we are asking, what is tomorrow? <coughs> tomorrow is the directive. Please do see the beauty of this. Tomorrow is the directive, <coughs> the end, the goal. And so tomorrow psychologically assumes a great significance. And psychologically, inwardly, the tomorrow is the movement of thought in time, movement of thought as a material process in time. Tomorrow is a measurement, right? Where there is a measurement, there must be illusion. I'm afraid you don't see all this. Look, measurement means comparing. I am not so beautiful as you are. I am not so intelligent as you are. Right? I want to be as intelligent as you are, which is measurement. Comparison is measurement. So thought is a process of comparison. So thought is measurement, which is the directive from what is what to what should be. Right? Now is there now is there such thing as tomorrow in the psychological world? If I live with tomorrow, then it's a mechanistic process, right? Because thought has created tomorrow, psychologically. That may be an illusion altogether. So I must, I must as a human being, I must find out. Because that's the pattern, that's the conditioning, that's the accepted norm of existence, which may be totally absurd, because I am concerned as a human being with the radical transformation, and we are examining the will, the will in action. And will in action means tomorrow, the directive. And is there such thing as tomorrow, psychologically? 
apart from biologically, physically. I need time. There is tomorrow, if I have to learn a language, if I have to learn to drive a car and so on, so on. So is there a tomorrow? There is no tomorrow when, no, when there is only sensation and no image and no thought. I want if you capture it. Do you get it? See, people, especially so-called religious people, the monks throughout the world, have said, sensation is totally wrong, control it. Because sensation leads to desire. And desire means the woman or the man. God cannot accept a man who has desire. You know, you have heard all this stuff put in different words. Therefore, suppress desire. Therefore, control all your sensations. Because if you don't, you are in, in the devil's hand. So we are saying something quite opposite, which is, sensation is natural. Sensation must exist, does exist, it's a fact. If you don't have your sensation fully alert, you are paralysed. You may be paralysed, because we have learned the art of suppressing. So there is this, all your sensations, when that sensations meet the movement of thought, then there is tomorrow. Because thought is a fragment. Thought is a fragment because it is based on yesterday's memory. Thought is never whole. So sensation totally is whole. Therefore there is no tomorrow. You understand all this? Don't agree with me. Please, do it. See, See what happens when you do. Look at those hills, at anything. Look at it with all your senses fully awakened. Senses, not only your brain, your mind, because mind is part of the sensations, matter. It's all your sensations. Then you will see thought comes along and the image making begins, and tomorrow will happen. But when there is only complete sensation without the movement of thought, there is only now. No tomorrow. Oh, I wonder if you see this. So, is it because we have no energy that we don't change? And we see we have got energy. Whenever we want to do something, we break everything to do it. And is it the lack of will? We see the mischief of will. So there is an action which is born not out of will, but out of the perception of this movement of will. You understand? So there is an action which is not born from an image, which is fragmentary, but an action born out of total awareness which is total sense of sensation. The final extract in this episode is from a direct recording by Krishnamurti in Ojai, 1983, titled A Spring Morning. It's a spring morn, a morning that has never been before and never will be again. 
It's a spring morn. Every little blade of grass, the flowers, the camellias, the roses, all are blooming. There is perfume in the air. It's a spring morn when the earth is so alive. And up in this valley, all the mountains so green, and the tallest of them so extraordinarily vital, immovable and majestic. It's a morning as you go along the path and look around at the beetle and the ground squirrel called Gopar here, and every tender leaf of the spring is shining in the sun. Those leaves have been waiting for this the whole winter, and they've just come out, tender, vulnerable, and without being romantic, imaginative, there is a feeling of great love and compassion, for there is so much beauty, incorruptible. And as there have been thousand spring mornings, but never such a morning as this, so still, so quiet, breathless, Perhaps it is with adoration. And the squirrels are out and they saw the lizards. It's a spring morning, the air is festive. And there are festivals all over the world because it's spring. They express it in so many different ways, the festival. But that which is can never be expressed in words, nor with a song and a dance, but the deep feeling of, of spring was quite a different matter. Why is it that we are we seem to be losing high, the highly vulnerable quality of sensitivity? To be sensitive to all the things about you. Not only to your own problems and turmoils, but to be actually sensitive, not about something, but just to be sensitive, to be vulnerable, like that new leaf which was born a few days ago, will face storms, rain, darkness and light. When we are vulnerable, we seem to get hurt. Being hurt, we withdraw into ourselves, build a wall around ourselves, from hard, cruel, but without any ugly, brutal reactions. To be vulnerable. All the movements of one's own being, vulnerable to the world, to be so sensitive that there is no regret, no wounds, no self-imposed discipline. And when we so vulnerable, it has a quality of measureless existence. We lose all this vulnerability in the world of noise and brutality, vulgarity and the bustle of everyday life. To have one's senses so sharpened, not any one particular sense, but all the senses to be fully Awake. Which does not necessarily mean to indulge. Without sensation, the feel, the pain, 
the loneliness, the anxiety, to be sensitive to all the movements of thought. When one is so highly sensitive, and with that, with those senses fully awakened, and from which there is a different kind of sensation, which goes beyond all the sensory or sensual responses. Have you ever looked at the sea or those vast mountains, the Himalayas, which stretch from horizon to horizon? Have you ever watched any flower with all your senses? Then there is such observation. There is no centre from which you are observing. There is no me. But the me, the limited observation of one or two senses, breeds the egotistic movement. After all, we live by the senses, and the senses that bring about sensation. And it's only when thought creates the image out of the sensation and the whole problem, all the complexities of desire arise. And on this morning, looking down into the valley, seeing the extraordinary spread of green, on the distant tower, to watch it, feel the pure air, and all the crawling things of the earth, watching without the interference of the, the images thought has built. And now the breeze is blowing from the valley up, up the canyon. As you turn, as the path turns, going down you, there is a bobcat right in front of you. About ten feet away. You can hear it purring, rubbing itself against the rock. It's a spring morning for it too. The hair sticking out of his ears, short tail, and the extraordinary graceful movement. We walk together down the valley, down the path. And it's hardly making any noise, except you hear its purring, thoroughly enjoying itself. A delight to be out in the spring sunshine, so clean, its hair is sparkling. And as you watch it, the whole wild nature is in that, in that animal. And you tread on a branch, dead branch, and makes a slight noise. It turns down, looks, and is off. Not even looking behind, behind it. That noise indicated bad, the most dangerous of all animals. It's gone in a second among the bushes and rocks. And all this joy has gone out of it. It knows how cruel man is, and it doesn't want to eat. It wants to be away as, as far away as possible. It's a spring morning, and it's peaceful. The immediate response of that cat, aware that a man was behind him, a few feet away, it too must have instinctively responded to the image what man is, the man who has killed so many things, destroyed so many cities, destroyed culture after culture, 
ever pursuing his desires, always seeking some kind of security and pleasure. Desire, which has been the driving force in man, has created great many pleasant and useful things. Desire also in man's relationship has created many problems and turmoils and misery. The desire for pleasure. The monks and the sannyasis of the world have tried to go beyond it and try to have the desire, which is a burning force, has forced itself to worship an ideal, an image, a symbol. But desire is always there like a flame, burning. And to find out, to probe into the nature of desire, when one sees the complexity of its activity, its demands, its fulfilments, ever more and more, desire for power, position, prestige, status, the desire for the unnameable, that which is beyond all our daily life, has made man do all kinds of ugly and beautiful things. Desire is the outcome of sensation, since it, the outcome with all the images the thought has built. And this desire not only breeds discontent, the sense of hopelessness, never to suppress it, never to dissipate it, but to probe into the nature of was the origin, the purpose, the, the intricacies of it. To delve deep into it is not a desire. It has no motive just to understand the beauty of a flower. To look at it, sit down beside it and look at it. And as you look, it begins to reveal, show itself as it actually is. Extraordinary, delicate colour, the perfume, the petals, the stem, and the, and the earth out of which it has grown. To look at this desire's nature, what is always shaping sensation, pleasure and pain, reward and punishment, and when one understands, not verbally or intellectually, but the whole causation of desire, that very discovery of desire, the root of desire, the very perception, the subtle perception of it, that in itself is intelligence, and that intelligence will always act with sanely and rationally with desire. And so, without too much talk this morning, or too much thinking, to be entirely enveloped by this spring morning, to live with it, to walk in it, is a joy that is beyond all men.
all measure. It cannot be repeated again. It will be there till there is a knock on the door. 